sweet of him. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's listener call-in show number three. Really popular first two episodes, hearing everyone else's thoughts and I'm really excited for this one as well because we are a couple of days removed from the task force report dropping. People have had a couple of days to let the dust settle, compose themselves, read through it a few times and really get to grips to what thoughts they have on it. The show is going to be split in kind of two. The first part, I've got Graham Rendell from UAP Media joining me for it. Graham, how are we doing today? I'm fine Andy, how are you? I'm very well and Graham you were very popular when you appeared on the the pod with myself and Dan a few months ago, a few weeks ago even, who knows what time it even is Uh, but yeah, very much a level head among the conversation so it's good to have you on with us Um, we're actually recording this intro after we've done the first load of calls and Graham, let's jump ahead slightly but non-spoilery, what were your thoughts on the calls? They were wonderful. I was really surprised and very, very pleased just at the calibre of your audience. It's, uh, it was really refreshing to find some really, really eloquent and very knowledgeable and very thoughtful people ringing in. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. And you know what? That, that was controversial, I think, when myself and Dan said after the first one that we were amazed at the the standard of people calling in. And that wasn't a slight against people, just the points people made were just like, oh, they really make you think in the debate. And you think, wow, you don't get this on a lot of other radio shows or, or podcasts or or TV shows even, a really high-level debate with like professionals and thinkers. And, and when I say podcasts, I don't mean other people who do podcasts like me. I mean, you're really high-level podcasts that are pulling in millions. I don't think get the quality of conversation that we've had on the first couple. And again, blown away by this one as well. So um, the second part, I did receive a lot of voice memos, voicemails for this one, and I'll break those down with Dan and we'll discuss those points too. So enjoy, folks, and we'll get straight into the first call with Fraser. First caller we have on the podcast for listener call-in number three is Fraser. Fraser, welcome back. Second time caller. Thanks, Andy. Much appreciated. Nice to be here. No, not at all. Uh, And Graham's obviously with us as well for this one. Fraser, the the UAP task force report dropped on Friday. What what were your thoughts then? So I I thought it was as good as could be expected, to be honest. I I thought it was probably um, maybe even a little bit better. I thought it was. It gave as much information as I thought it would give, and I thought it was good because, therefore, it's going to raise the the subject more publicly. And I think that's kind of what most people would thought. And I think it'll mean the the subject will be discussed more publicly now without so much stigma, which will be welcomed by most of the the community. However. I think this is exactly what the authors and the US government want and all the agencies that were involved. And this is just my opinion, so I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. That, um, there's, there's, In my opinion, this is exactly what they want. It's going to be a little distraction. Great, 
keep them busy focusing on the UAP task force report over there. That's great. Everyone's focusing on that. Actually, what's happening in the background and has been for decades is loads and loads of projects, reports, you know, studies that we're never going to hear anything about. And we're probably going to hear about 10% of that information because they're just really not going to tell us exactly what they've got in their locker pocket or all the information so i think for them this is absolutely perfect because everyone seems to be focusing on that as the be all and end all so I, i'd be very interested to see what your thoughts are that this is the only thing a lot of people seem to think this is the only thing that they're actually doing to study the uap subject but actually i think and i'm convinced that for decades they've been doing loads and loads of work with loads and loads of people that's fully funded fully supported that we're just never going to hear about but i think this is great everyone sort of watch over there, look at all that, concentrate on that, and then we'll just get on with what we've been doing for decades and decades. So that's what I think is happening. And I think this is just falling right into their um their hands of exactly what, what they want us to do. Not I mean it's not a conspiracy theory or anything like that. I think yes, it's public and it's been discussed, but it's never going to actually give us what we actually want and what they actually know. That's just my opinion. No, it's not a mixed bag phrase. I appreciate that and I think I echo echo some of of some of what you say as well there um you, you're right though that you, you were like myself where you weren't expecting aliens and that's what i get from that first part anyway where it was better than you expected i've seen other people with similar sentiments though that they know more and this is something i'll probably bring up a few times on this tonight and i'll, I'll ask graham to come in on this when people are talking about they were saying the u.s government or the people in the government that know I don't think those were the people, I, I would guarantee those weren't the people involved in the making of this report. Again, it, this is a long, this is a long form conversation and probably a whole whole podcast in itself, but I've seen a lot of people going back to, but they've known since Roswell, they've known since the, the 40s and 50s. And it's like they, if you're talking about the people who knew, they're, they're all dead, they're, they've passed on a long time ago. So then was there people who knew in the 60s and 70s, did they know the same thing? And then it's what's been passed on through the years. I absolutely believe there are people within the government or private contractors, even more likely, the, the way that it looks, that probably know a whole load of what's going on, that probably know more than the people who are involved in, in putting together this report as well. So I think it's just taking a step back and looking at the whole and going, when we say they, who are we talking about? If it's just the government, the government's massive and the government's full of different compartments. So when you listen to Lou Elizondo, it's probably so much more disorganised than we can imagine. I look at our own government in the UK and what's happened the last just few days, unsurprisingly probably, but you know, for what's going on here, we've had more scandal again on the back of COVID and affairs within in Parliament and stuff. But it's one of those things it's it's do you give them credit for keeping this big secret or is that secret even still there in the way it used to be for them to keep it hidden so i i'm optimistic and this is just my opinion not that other people have to be that i think there's a chance of this moving forward this time maybe just enough of that stigma and bias and the people who don't want it out is gone i don't doubt there's still some of that there but maybe it's moved on enough from those past reports and blue book and condom reports and all that kind of stuff for it to be taken forward a bit further this time, not for definite, but that we've got a chance. Graham, I'll ask, I'll ask you to come in on that, mate. Yeah. I think if you buy into the conspiracy theory element of uh, what's happened in the last 74 odd years, then that will only be a very, very small element somewhere tucked away in, in us government or maybe outside it out of the reach of them. Um, but 
I, I sort of agree with Andy that that's probably not what's what's at play here. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for them to do another Condon 2.0 and ju- and just basically say, look, there's nothing to see here. Move on. That they can be explained away. Um, or it's Chinese or Russian drones, and come up with fairly plausible um, excuses for that's what they are, which would you know satisfy the majority of people. It wouldn't satisfy us, but that may be not what their audience is. You, know, you have to remember there's a wider world out there. So on, on that hand, they could actually just you know, kill it co- co- a stone cold dead. But they've given a little bit, and that's hard for an intelligence apparatus, because remember, this is coming out of you know the intelligence services that they, they've been going around various elements um, who actually are charged with that kind of fact finding in the U.S. government that they're bringing information so they can make policy. Now, if they're turning around and saying, "I don't know what's happening," or "We don't know what's happening," that's a huge admission for an intelligence apparatus to make. You don't have the likes of the KGB as they were, or the FSB now, or MI6 or, or whoever going around saying, we don't know what's going on. Because sharp, you know, those people who say that tend to get replaced very quickly. So it's quite a big thing for them to come out with that kind of statement. Um, and it's because this is a preliminary report, you're only ever going to get that. You were never going to get chapter and verse of what these things are. So I think it's a step on the way to something else. What that something else is, I don't really know at this stage. But it's not, I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, like Andy, Andy gave his, I don't think it is uh, a nothing. Um, you know, it's, it's not playing to some kind of conspiracy that they've always known. I, I think I genuinely think that, that actually, they are in the dark. I think they're scrambling around trying to find out what these things are. They're no further forward than they were 74 years ago. And I think it's been like that for a long time. They may have an idea what they think they are, but getting the handle on it, I, I tend to think that they're still pretty much as much as in the dark as they were 74 years ago. Sorry for the long-winded reply. No, that's all right. I'll, I'll say that, Fraser. Like the two things there that I would pick up on is, and I've seen Tim McMillan and others mention this recently, that it's very hard, like Graham said, for the intelligence community to come out at all and say, we don't know. That's like their, that's swallowing their pride in the biggest way for them. Um, there's a lot of ego involved there as well, so that's not been done lightly. But like Graham said, and I, I don't think they go back as far as 74 years. I think if we know, and I don't mean we've all got theories and ideas, like if, if we truly know 5% of what's going on from the data available, they maybe know 25 or 30% of, of what's going on. But like Graham said, I think there genuinely is, and this is only from the last couple of years, I've kind of changed my way of thinking on this. And I think in this topic, you have to be able to be fluid in it, that they they are scared of what they don't know and how much of this they're probably guessing which I reckon is, is equally as dangerous for them because it's it's one thing to know, but to not know most of what's going on is probably probably terrifying for, for the government. Not that I sympathise by, by any means, but do you want to come back in on that, Fraser? Uh, I, so, no, I, listen, I totally agree with you. It was just a sort of thought, you know, maybe they're actually being a, a bit more clever than we're giving them credit for. And, you know, I totally appreciate what you're saying and what Tim has said as well, that, it's really hard for them to admit that they don't know something, but maybe that's exactly what the game that they're playing. And I, I, I don't doubt that they are actually studying this and they're looking at stuff and they're going to staff it up appropriately. But the idea that the biggest military power with the biggest budget only has Jimmy and Jock 
in a wee cupboard somewhere in the Pentagon, and that's actually only their part-time job as well. So you do the UAP task force report as well as everything else. Man, that's a load of nonsense. They're good. They will have tens of millions of dollars devoted to this somewhere. Now, whether that's a private industry, a project that they're funding, we'll never hear about it, that's fine. But I think I, I totally agree with both of you. This is a, a fantastic step ahead. And as you said, it's the, it is the preliminary report to something that maybe get properly funded. But for me, this is the forward-facing or the public-facing um, part of the UAP task force that they're giving us. They're giving us this and they're drip-feeding us as the public-facing sort of part of it. But behind the scenes, I'm, I'm, I would be convinced that the biggest superpower in the world has got vast amounts of resources that are looking at it that we just won't get the answers to. So, you know, I think I think they, they will be hand in hand and we'll get the public facing part of it. And it will be up to those people like the whistleblowers and the Jeremy Corbells and the Chris Mellons to, to chip away at that bit that we're not seeing to try and get a bit more uh, openness in that regard. So I think it's really positive anyway, either way, whatever it is. Fraser, just before we move on to the next call, can I get a very quick response on this? So you're talking about that public facing aspect of the UAP task force. If down the line they announced that the permanent task force was going to be headed up by Louise Elizondo, would that make you happy? Um, it could be headed up by anybody. I think. I think it's part of the. It's like space force. Why would you? Why would you? have a space force why would you create a space force if you didn't know that there was something for the space force to do it seems bizarre so you know whether it's part of a military project or a military branch or a separate um task force from the the pentagon if it's a, a permanent thing rather than a project so this task force a task force is maybe task and finish and you're done but if it's a certainly military branch. So this is the UAP branch or the UAP battalion of the Space Force and it's got a rank structure and it's got certain aims and objectives and priorities. Then that for me is it being embedded and being more public. Um, but yeah, I, I tell you, I don't think they would have Luis Elizondo um, running it running it just now given the flag that he's been getting uh, relatively publicly but yeah i think if they're just just say right okay now we've got this and i think it was alluded to in the report as well about additional funding um to take us forward additional scientific knowledge additional rigorous analysis so they might just in the next budget for the next you know military um annual proxy right we are allocating 100 million for a new uap battalion for space force i think that might be what the next step is Excellent. Fraser, you've set the bar, high, uh, the bar high even with the first call. So thank you very much, mate. No worries, pal. Nice to speak to you again. Cheers, Fraser. Bye-bye. Cheers. Next up, all the way, if I'm correct, from San Francisco, I have Tim on the line. Tim, how are we? Good, Andy. Thanks for having me. Awesome. No, thank you very much for joining myself and Graham on the call. At some point, Dan should be joining us as well, but that might not be till a little bit later. So, uh, Tim, uh, listen, it's been a big few days. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I'm really overall, I think, pleased after having a couple of days to digest what was said in the report. Um, you know, a big week, uh, I think, emotionally for a lot of people in this community. Um, and, uh, you know, just a lot of focus put into what was going to come out of this report in general. 
Um, you know, a few key takeaways for me, and I'm sure that, you know, some of your other guests will say the same thing. Um, you know, I'll hit these pretty quickly and then we can dig deep into any ones that you find, you know, significant here, but, you know, my key things that I took away were definitely the longevity of reporting from the Navy versus the air force. That was a big one for me. Um, knowing that this was 18 months to six months of time that these government entities had, uh, you know, to submit reports to this uh, reporting body. Obviously, what Lou Elizondo mentioned, 143 cases uh, remain identified out of 144. Um, that's significant to me. Uh, no matter how you cut it, that kind of uh, ratio is, is definitely needs to be investigated more. Um, the data coll- collection apparatus uh, and the sample size that they referenced um, about just having to collect more data is super interesting. And then I think the, the biggest bullet here for me was, uh, you know, it's possible that as a civilization, humanity lacks the scientific evolution to fully comprehend what's going on here. Um, the fact that that's in a government report, albeit a short report, was pretty shocking to me um, and uh, and very honest and transparent. And I think that that opens the door to a lot more of what we've been hearing from the likes of Chris Mellon and the likes of Lou Elizondo and, and uh, other folks, uh, Hal Pudoff and other folks that have been involved in this subject for a long time. Um, you know, I, I feel like that statement alone uh, has yet to be digested by the mainstream media, let alone the greater public. Uh, Graham, I'll let you come in on that one first, then I'll pick up the point I want to. Okay, well, I picked up on two of your points there, Tim. So the first one is about the the timeline for reporting. Um, Yes, okay, the US Navy had a a lead on the US Air Force, but it wasn't much of a lead. And you're only talking about, what, 18 months or something like that. And if I remember, the US Navy's standard reporting system only started in March 2019. And of course, they've been seeing UAPs since 2014, 2015, 2004 even. So it's taken taken them a long time to get on board with this. Um, The US Air Force, for whatever reason, seem to be dragging their their heels. Um, But they must be seeing things themselves. They must have had some kind of issue along the same lines as you know, UAPs, um, um, you know, transgressing their their exercise areas, et cetera, et cetera, the same way it's happening to the U.S. Navy. But for whatever reason, and that's obviously completely unknown at this moment, why they're not getting on board as quick as possible, but it's taken them until November 2020 to do so. So that was, yes, you're right there. That's a a big thing. Um, But I think both of them seem to have dropped the ball, as it were, for a long time. And they're only just now trying to get on board with things and, and come out with speed. And that may still be an ongoing process. They're probably still, well, certainly the US Air Force, from what the report says, they're still going through some kind of evaluation phase as to which is the best method to report them. So, and it may not be widespread across the airport, the Air Force either, from, from what it says. Your other te- the other takeaway that you mentioned, the last one, about scientific advancements that's incredibly important for me that was the big thing that if they're you know sort of admitting that their scientific processes and their analysis can't even you know match what they're seeing and they have to have some kind of big leap in then being able to determine what they're looking at never mind you know sort of explaining it that that is huge um it's a huge admission as you say yeah <laughs> it, yeah and i think and that and to me that hasn't been picked up up so much Everybody's been too wrapped up in, oh, they're not saying they're non-human intelligence or, or, they're not, or they're, they should be saying they're just balloons or, or whatever. This that's is the whole precisely. thing. That, that's the huge, huge thing that they're, they're admitting this huge lack of knowledge. Um, but, but it's not entirely clear what they're, you know, what they're deficient in. Yeah. So that's yeah. something else. That might be in the classified 
at X or the Precisely. classified file report. That's really important. Let, let me yeah, come no, in on I, that. I kind of agree with you. Yeah, that's, that's, sorry, that go, was go the one I was going to come on with, with as well because I think that's that's a huge piece on this. Is so I'm going to read that part. It was in the summary. There was there was the potential options. I think I've discussed this on the podcast for a while that there would be a sort of summary bullet pointed almost, and it was airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, U.S. government or in- industry developmental programs, foreign adversarial or other, and other was the bit that I was aha, okay, I went straight to that. And it reads, although most of the UAP described in our data set probably remain unidentified due to limited data or challenges to collection, processing, or analysis, we may require additional scientific knowledge to successfully collect on, analyze, and characterize some of them. We would group such objects in this category pending scientific advances that allowed us to better understand them. That's huge. The first part you could put as, you know what, just depending on what they've got, they're not sure what science to use. But it's that next bit is literally an admission that we don't have advanced enough science or knowledge to actually study and look at this. And like you say, if they have, for example, uh, the gimbal video, if they have that object stopping in midair, and then having doing a right angle turn against that wind, just a turn in itself, and then the speed it maybe moves away at, straight away they would look at that and go, we can't do that. How how do you study that? How do you conclude on that? Because what they can't see is, well, it must be aliens because that wouldn't work. But that's that's what I take from that. I find that really interesting, to be honest. Precisely. I feel like that's a really concise way of, of saying, um, we can't interpret this yet. And I feel like that's a really important point. Um, and like I said, I, I, you know, Graham, to your point, I don't think that that portion of this report has been digested yet from what I'm seeing on social media. Um, Gideon Lewis Krauss put out a great article today, again, to a follow-up to his New Yorker article that came out a couple of months ago. And um, he talks about this as well. So it will get out there to the audiences that it needs to, to land with. But um, I was really shocked by that. And I think relating to that, I'll talk about one more thing. And Graham, I'd love to get your opinion on this. Um, it, you know, in relation to being able to understand this phenomenon and whether we, we have the capacity and or the tools to do so right now, um, there was also a couple of mentions of signature management. I want to know what you guys think about that portion of the report. And I know what signature management means from a military standpoint, but I want to know what you guys think about what that is relating to the five observables and what Luz talked about and exactly what that language meant to you. Um, and if there was anything kind of, you know, in the undercurrent there to glean from that. So uh, from what I take signature management to be, they might have never served in the military, but I understand that's how you disguise what you look like to sensors. Right. Um, so therefore, that could be, that's the one where it says low observability. And that's the five, one of the five observables. So whether they're trying to spoof um, sort of the sensor data, so they're not looking the way they should, or whether they're disguising themselves some some other method. So there's a whole raft of things there that we we that's coming into sort of technology that we may not understand. So that's right. again where you're coming into these leaps that we may need to make before we can understand what's actually happening. So just because it looks like a certain thing on a screen on on a FLIR screen, might not be what it actually looks like, because it could it could disguise its appearance. It could disguise the way it appears on a radar system or a FLIR system or, or anything else that you look at it with. But you it see, could also, sorry, go on. No, and I was going to say that that to me, your point there uh, lends to an intuition of this is intelligent control. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if there is some kind of registration of 
you know, cloaking or, you know, pick your word, uh, trying to not be, uh, not register on our systems. Um, that's just another, you know, layer to the intelligent control cake for me. But so, look at it this way, though, it could be like a chameleon. It could be instinct. Sure. It could, if it's some kind of artificial intelligence or some kind of, you know, just plucking something out of midair there, it could be an instinctive kind of fight or flight measure. Um, sure. It could be something that just hides itself, you know, because it's that, that's how it wo- operates. It's not necessarily any thinking behind it. It's just an automatic instinctive maneuver. So there's a whole, this is the kind of thing that we're, we're just kind of put our, our own stamp on these things, aren't we? That what we would do under certain circumstances, if we didn't want to be sort of detected ourselves, what would we do? Where that might not be what's going on here. But I take your point, that is what it what they, sounds like what they're doing or whatever Absolutely. it is that's doing. Andy, what do you think? The, the signature management bit for me was one of those where I was like, I would defer to people with better knowledge of what that kind of stuff was talking about, like Graham, and I think he summed it up quite well. Um, that main takeaway for me on scientific advancements was huge, but I was I was discussing with uh, DJ San Marco from the Life MMA and NBA podcast earlier today, and he he is an aviation background. He works for the, the military in America, and there was a few things he, he wasn't necessarily happy with the language on. Um, and I'll just bring this up because, again, from that point of view, it talks about the sensors and the radar systems. And um, it was most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects. He wasn't happy with the word probably being used in there. And I don't want to sound like an apologist for people who write these or whatever. But for me, I mean, that's that's fair language to use because they don't know. And I talked about if they are tracking an object, let's just say they track a black triangle, right? and it's flying across wherever it's flying across. Now, they pick up on different sensors. We have a physical object, okay? We can track it. We've got it going at speed, X, Y, and Z. If that triangle then flies through a solid object, then they've got to say probably, because solid objects don't fly through solid objects. So if that moves through like a mountain range, which Chris Mellon's talked about before, so if, if you have that, then you can't guarantee because that's that's then not a solid for us, is it? So that's what I think they've, they've probably been quite telling in some of the language that's been used. Maybe I'm looking into it too much, but for me, I find that sort of interesting when it comes to talking about sensors, radar, infrared, electro-optical, and they probably represent physical objects because that doesn't mean they're, they're not there. It just might mean we're talking about orbs and that kind of stuff as well, potentially down the line. So, yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, time, no, that, that makes time sense. wise, anything else you want to just wrap up on before we before we run out? Absolutely, man. Um, so, I've got one question that I prepared for you guys that I feel like I, I would love to hear asked to somebody like Lou or Chris Mellon or uh, you know um, anybody that's had touch uh, on the on the the inside the government side of this. Um, and you can rephrase this however you want. I would love it if you would use it. I talked to Ryan Sprague earlier this week. I would love for him to use it. Um, so, you know, you just take it for what it is and then let me know if you need clarification here. Um, the question is, you know, with a wide spectrum of all of the possibilities of what this phenomenon could be, is there a measured degree towards certainty on a scale of one to 10, for example, to which the data strongly indicates any one explanation? So in other words, what's the current leading hypothesis supported by the facts, right? So, and you know this well, Andy, people talk about uh, extraterrestrial, crypto-terrestrial, hyper-terrestrial, you know, pick your 
pick your liquor, right? So which one, uh, if any, uh, you know, underwater civilization, is there any supporting data on a wider scale that points to any one of those things? Um, and why? And uh, I feel like this is an open-ended enough question to ask somebody like Lou or Chris, and they might be able to speculate a bit without giving a real answer um, or, or a, you know, breaking an NDA. Um, so that's my question for you guys. I, you know, definitely uh, let me know what you think or how you might rephrase that, but I've never heard anybody ask that. I'll tell you what, email me it. I will be speaking to Lou on the podcast soon, not too soon, but in the next month or two, hopefully. Um, cause I wanted to give it, a, I know everyone's going to clamor to speak to him right after the report drops, but I, I don't know how much you can really add right now. Sure. Um, I, and I'm more interested to see what comes out over the coming weeks to then yeah. speak to Lou. Um, but email me that and I will put that to him. I, I love it. I love it. And Andy, I, you know, I want to thank both of you guys for your time today. Um, I'm really excited to be part of this conversation. I had the chance to talk to Ryan earlier this week. That was really exciting. Um, I also uh, was quoted in Travis Andrews' uh, Washington Post article on uh, internet culture, which yeah. was super surprising to me. He didn't email me back, but he just put my words in. So I was really, really happy uh, about that. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be adding to the conversation. So thank you guys for doing what you're doing. And uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on. No, nope, and you've so, done it very well, Tim. Thanks very much. Got it. Thanks, Andy. Bye, guys. Bye, Graham. Bye. 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 Yeah. Really good call there from Tim. And next up, joining myself and Graham, we've got Mike. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Cheers. Uh, good weekend. It's been a bit of a crazy one. So what do you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, the uh, the report mainly and uh, what we think is coming next, uh, timescales, and uh, yeah, where, where maybe we go in the UK based off this. Yeah, good shout. So so what were your thoughts then on the initial report? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought... Um, for for what it is, initial report, no findings that I know we weren't really expecting bodies. Maybe the tiniest part of me was hoping for it, but um, yeah, I don't think realistically uh, we were ever getting that. But um, yeah, I thought it was good. I think it's hopefully going to push some some hearings, some politicians to get asked tough questions, and uh, and yeah, hopefully we can get more of an investigation going forward. How about yourselves, Graham? Do you want to come in now? I'm not entirely sure what the time scale is going to be for any kind of positive action. I mean, it was comforting to see that the uh, Secretary of Defence put a memo out, you know, pretty much straight away afterwards, saying what the course of action would be in terms of forming some kind of, um, you know, working group to look at um, rationalising the kind of actions that they were going to do and formalising the collection procedures. And the bit that I picked up on was that they were wanting to get to a position where two weeks after a report was made. You know, it was in the hands of the task force or whatever follows on from the task force um, for, for some kind of analysis. So that was encouraging that they would try to speed things up. As for when these things happen, well, that's anybody's guess, I'm afraid, because first of all, it has to go. It's got to go through this committee uh, in the class of they're looking at the classified section. Now that's probably, I would have thought, a lot bigger than the public section. So there'll be a lot to digest there. And they'll probably have all sorts of advisors looking at it and telling them what's what and all the rest of it because they won't be able to make decisions on their own about such you know such a big issue because there will be a lot to this. So you're probably looking at months, if not maybe a year or so, I would have thought, rather than just days or weeks. If it was something that was a you know direct national threat, and I don't think they're at that stage, then there would be 
you know, much quicker action, I think. But, you know, I mean, Andy might have a different view to me here, but I don't think it's an imminent threat in terms of they need something yesterday uh, put in place. I think they'll be happy just to get things right um, so that there's no argument and then they'll go from there. So, yeah, you're looking months, if not longer than that. Yeah, I'm really not too sure on timescales, what what may speed things up. Well, even speed things up, but we might get some more information. If the New York Times do have a leaked version or part of the classified report even, and we start getting pieces of that out in the public, that could change things or at least give us some more information to the public as well. And if we have picture of a black triangle 35,000 feet in HD that's came out of the water with a little bit of data to go along with that to show it was under the water first that that raises the, the stakes and piques the interest of the public and the media if we get a, a longer version of the gimbal video then yep again if you get the radar data that shows there were five other objects in front of it flying in a V formation all that kind of stuff could, could make a difference um, so time scale wise I'm I'm interested just even the fact that on Tuesday, TMZ, a channel I don't usually have any interest in whatsoever, given what it normally does, is showing the documentary it's shown with Jeremy Corbell and others attached. I'll be watching that with bated breath. Then Discovery's Unclassified show. Again, hoping there's a little bit more in there. And then JJ Abrams' docu-series as well on HBO Max, which I'm sure will have a, a decent budget attached to that as well. I think coupled with potentially Corbell and Knapp and others doing some drops and some leaks, that could have a big say in how quickly this moves along. From a UK point of view, I'm glad you brought that up as well. Um, what's disappointed me is we've had some, I just mentioned this on the first call as well, there's been some scandal here in the UK where one of our higher ranking politicians has been caught basically having an affair, which is now going to dominate the news because he's been one of the main faces of COVID the whole time. Um, and it turns out, well, he's telling us all to stay in our bubbles. He's been kind of having his own bubbles, so to speak. So um, that's that's going to dominate our news headlines. This this report, I think, now has little to no chance of penetrating the the UK news in a big way. It was good to see Sean Cahill was on talk radio this morning. Um, it'd be good if we could get Sean on the TV, Lou on the TV. If Chris Mellon would do the UK news, that would be incredible. And others like that. Um, your your um, Dietrichs, your Fravers, Graves, any of these people, I just don't think right now we're going to get that. I think it'll be when we get more information in the US, maybe it'll penetrate over here. So slightly disappointed in that sense that the UK is going to be lagging behind on this, but we we know where the UK priorities are going to be just now. So is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the um, it's probably about what I was thinking, and uh, I think the in the US. As well, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that uh, political journalists get involved and ask some of the, the people that will have been at these uh, hearings and or not the hearings, the the report and seeing the classified sections because I'd, I'd like to think they're not going to be as as tight lipped as Lou Elizondo on on what's classified. He picks his words very carefully, and if we know with politicians, sometimes they can let things slip or or whatever. So if it goes through from a political standpoint and there's some crossover i saw the french report i haven't read the whole thing um, that came out the sigma 2 or something um yeah so i know that mentioned different countries being involved i don't know if it's driven from america or atip or whatever but i'd hope that that kind of starts to a bit more of a 
other countries to kind of have to address what they've got going on if they have and how it all ties in together. So I'd like what, it to come across. You, you make a good point on the, the the politicians that have been briefed and seen the classified report, and you've got your your Rubios, your Warners, and and others that are are coming into the conversation. And you would think like some of these some of these guys, guy and women, Rubio's been the most prominent, obviously will they slip up a little bit and maybe just with the weight of what they're kind of starting to find out they're not a Lou Elizondo who's trained to to not give away information and body tells and the way he speaks and some of these guys probably can't help but smirk when they answer a question or indicate something and yeah you you would hope even in speaking to a friend that something comes out so yeah. that's that's probably a good chance chance in that as well Graham do you want to give us any final thoughts on that one you might be um, a good place to comment on the the french report actually yeah i mean i'll just go back first of all to the uh, you know the uk response i mean we don't have the likes of a uk lou elizondo or a um a sean cahill or, or a christopher mellon or or the pilots even if we had those i think we would be further forward i think we'd, we'd be able to have our own conversations they would be able to have their own conversations with the media uh similarly we don't have the mps who are prepared to talk about the issue um even you know there must be one or two who are interested but but don't talk about it for whatever reason, uh, because it's probably a career-ending move at, the, at this point in time to talk about it. So you know that's that's probably where we stumble. You know, not you know, withstanding the fact that the MOD are, are really tight on, on on not giving things away that they're well practiced. Um, the French report is interesting. It talks about you're right. It talks about um, various countries being involved, and I've only I've only looked at it fairly briefly as well. I was trying to get my head around it last night, uh, and I'm still going to have another go at it tomorrow. Um, but the, it, it essentially says that there was a policy to try and work together at some stage between the likes of America, Russia, France, and Britain, but that fell apart uh, for whatever reason some time ago. So it, it's it's not entirely clear why. Bearing in mind that French report, the Sigma Two report, is only a preliminary as well. It's uh, it's an advance for another full scale report at some stage in the future. So it, it's not the full story. So you know, don't sort of take everything in that as being probably the you know, the true the true picture. Uh, but yes, it does mention that. And it also mentions a, um, some kind of study by the UK. And I'm not entirely clear which one it actually um, sort of refers to. Dan might be able to tell you know tell us more about that. He might have a, a handle on what it is. I thought it might re- relate to Condine, but I'm not entirely sure. So. Um, I would have to read a bit more into it and maybe somebody else can tell me what, which one it is because I'm not sure at all. Yeah, over to you, Andy. Awesome. Mike, look, thanks very much for your call. We're going to move on to our next one, but yeah, uh, do call again next time we'll do one of these, okay, mate? We're just going to take a very quick ad break, folks, and then we will be right back with Dan and the voicemail section. Some good stuff coming up, so stay tuned. Next up, we'll go straight over to Adam. Adam, second time caller again already on show number three. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Nice to um, see you. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, you can see me, but you can't see Graham because he's turned his video off, like we said. Graham lives uh, away from broadband and civilization, so he's uh, saving all his bandwidth for the audio, but he is here. Um, listen, Adam, big couple of days. Everyone's talking about the task force report. What's been your thoughts? Yeah, it's, you know you know what? It's It's been really good. Um I've seen a lot of negativity about the report in itself. And um, I would say the report is quite a, a sort of dry and um, sort of vaguely academic um, response to what was quite a sort of um, dry government request of, you know, um, a list of uh, requests. 
So I think the um, the report actually is proportionate to what what was being asked for it, or what's being asked of the UAPTF. So there were no surprises there, and um, I was quite happy with going through it and sort of picking out little little nuggets of uh, gold in it. Um, but yeah, generally I think it was really positive. Um, I, I know there's been a furore amongst the sort of UFO Twitter community about you know somehow not containing pictures of the bodies and stuff like that, but. I don't think any of any of us that have got a sort of I've been quite objective and level headed about it, we're ever expecting anything more. Well, listen, I think if I did have pictures of bodies in there, people straight away would have been saying, Oh, not those bodies. That's that's <laughs> not the that's not the bodies we meant. Uh, yeah, yeah, not those bodies. Um but you, you mentioned a few nuggets within there. What stood out for you in the report? I think I think it was you know what it was? It was it was them admitting that basically they had a hole in their sort of data collection and hence hence their intelligence. Um, you know that's a huge thing. That's a it's, it's a massive deal. If they're saying actually there's things floating above us and we 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 don't have the equipment to monitor it or to collect you know really accurate data about it, um, you know they, they make mention of this sort of anecdotal evidence not being sort of enough to sort of delve into it. And I, I agree. You know as much as um, you know David Fravor and um, listening to sort of Ryan Graves and stuff describe things being in the air and them giving you know as really explicit sort of description of it there is nothing more to it that you know unless there's sort of precise sort of precise uh, optical data or radar movements and stuff like that there is just nothing more to work on aside from a description of a tic-tac moving really quickly i'm sure the nimitz encounter as we know has has there's loads of there's a multi-sensor approach to it and i'm sure they've got loads and loads of data that's probably one of the more precise um um situations they they've got you know information on but you know if it's i, th- I think that there's a real within the ufo community i think there's you know having video evidence is is just one sort of sensor isn't it it's optical and that's not good enough having an anecdotal account of seeing a light in the sky is you know it makes me you know i, I get excited about that sort of stuff but you know if you're going to really analyze it if you're being scientific about it you know we just need more and, and that seems the report seems to point everyone in the right direction to be honest so you know i'm i'm really happy with where it's going and i'm quite excited for the future to be honest and and, you know you make the point there and we talked about this on a previous call that we are looking at we need more data some of this stuff doesn't have enough it's that one source or there might be additional but it's within that classified section however we we talked on a previous call that something that was quite exciting was there's a part that alludes to we need further scientific advances before we can actually study some of this yeah absolutely our science isn't advanced enough for some of the stuff they have that's that's really exciting and like one of the previous callers was saying like once that's something the mainstream media should be picking up on and divisive as he is like tucker carlson on fox i want to see him asking lou or chris mellon that live on fox like what does that mean that our science isn't good enough to study what we are filming recording looking at on sensors that i find that really interesting yeah i think that's a really good question to put um put to put to lou to be honest i think I don't know. I don't know if there's been any reaction from him. To be honest, I know. I know. I, I think I might even put a tweet out or something like that. But I haven't really heard any sort of follow up from Lou in respect of the actual report. Um, I think. I think the report really legitimises the problem, and um, that that's what what you know. The, those requests from Congress really really were asking for is, you know, do we have a problem here? Do we need to look into it? And the reports come back saying yes, we have a problem. You know, we don't have the sensor sensors to be able to you know track these things accurately we don't have um 
facilities on the aircraft or you know the perhaps the ai to go trawl through this radar data in particular to really know the scale of the problem and you know them identifying the boundaries of the of the problem or you know identifying their unknowns is you know is the start of trying to solve it and you know and that's a massive deal to me that's that's you know that that shows that they're going to take it forward there's going to be money thrown at it i don't, I don't know what sort of um process the american um government goes through in terms of like allocating funds to particular projects to particular projects or, or issues or to task forces etc but i'm just hoping that you know they get enough funds to do a decent job on it graham i'll bring you in at that point on yeah. funding but where do you think this is going to sit on the on the list of priorities i mean, really to be honest with a coronavirus kind of reconstruction in progress all over the world and especially in america um, very low diner priorities. Having said that, you know, 22 million probably wasn't a lot, was it, when ATIP got, was it $22 million they got? It's not a, a huge amount of money in the overall yeah. scale of things. You know, that, that that's somebody's wages bill for, for a year or something like that in a, in a chief executive. So it's it's not a great deal of money. They'll find it, for, if, if they're genuinely serious about looking into this, they'll find that money from somewhere. Whether they just don't get as many F-35s or, or you know, the, 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 there's a couple of missiles or, or a boat doesn't get built, then that's where the money will come from. It'll come from somewhere in the DOD budget. Um, so that's not a problem. Um, so the funding will be found if they're, let's say, if they're genuinely serious about looking into this. But in terms of, like, you know, your, your failures of, national, of uh, intelligence gathering that you were saying there, um, you're right, Adam. It, wind the clock back 50 years ago and then look in the middle of the Cold War and imagine a kind of a similar situation where they, were, they didn't know what the Russians were doing and they couldn't track their aircraft, they couldn't track their missiles, they couldn't track their satellites, couldn't track their you know their movements on the ground and, and their ships and their submarines. You imagine the hell that that would have you know like got you know, broke loose in Washington and, and throughout the DoD. Um, you know if that kind of situation had occurred. So just think about now how that's sort yeah. of you know, um, uh, reverberating through the layers of government and, and the military as to we've got something here that we don't know what we're looking at. You know, how, how does that sit, you know, throughout throughout the, all the different layers of government and military? It must be, it'd be squeaky bum time, I believe that's the phrase, isn't it? You know, it's, it's really, really odd. I'd love to be a fly on the wall, you know, in one of these meetings to find out all, all the kind of crap that's been thrown at each other. You know, that's not us. You know, it's not our fault. Or, yeah, well, you should be looking for this. All the kind of blame will be casting about as well. There'll be a lot of that going on, I suspect. And it's, it'd just be interesting to know what kind of conversations are being had behind closed doors. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. It'd be, it'd be so interesting to sort of um, be a fly on the wall for that. Um, I mean, the other thing in the report that made, made me laugh, though, is that they have five categories and everything's in other, which... You know, just <laughs> you couldn't get more descript- non-descript than that, could you? It was just um, everything was just unidentified, so it just sits in this other category, which is basically everything that they can't explain. I'll uh, I'll just make a point first, right? And this might on. be just putting two two and two together and getting five, okay? But just to get you thinking, so that's the first time we've seen that language used within those reports of other being a category, okay? And it just says other as in other stuff, yeah. Tom DeLong um, has made a lot of comments over the years and Joe Murgia just put together a massive list of those online of here are all Tom DeLong's quotes and what he said about other beings and intelligences and what he understands is going on. A large part of the list he uses the language of the others, the others, the others and you wonder is this a way of conditioning people to other 
And then the next time we see a proper report or the conversation, okay, that there, there is other stuff happening. We don't know what this others is. And you just it's a way of getting terminology away from aliens to okay, this these others. And that could be the way you get the language in. But what I want to ask you just before you head off, Adam, is yeah. uh, over the next week or two, we have got the TMZ documentary on Tuesday, which Jeremy Corbell is a part of, and they're claiming to have unseen footage from the Navy. Um, I'm sure that'll be part of Jeremy Corbell's drop on Tuesday. You've got the Discovery sure. Channel series, and then we've got the J.J. Abrams docu-series on HBO Max. Well, that's in the US and the UK. I'm sure we'll get it in other ways. But uh, I, I wouldn't name what those are because we don't have HBO Max over here. But what are you expecting from those documentaries? Because that's three quite big <coughs> channels and networks all quite close together as well. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, I, I, obviously, um, I was a little bit sort of nervous about the J.J. Abrams one. Um, I think, as Dan mentioned on one of his tweets, it's going to have lots of... Um, Lots of um, sort of strobe lighting and um, colourful effects, isn't it? Like in every movie he does. But um, you know, my interest was who 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 is researching it. Um, you know, is it just going to be a sort of a pop version of what what we've sort of taken quite a while to get to know? Um, and is it going to treat it seriously? Um, in terms of Jeremy Corbell, um, I, I, I think I think he's he's all right actually. Um, I know some people have huge reservations, and I think he. As a filmmaker, he sort of errs on the side of the dramatic, doesn't he? And he likes to sort of, um, you know, have cliffhangers and he um, likes to drop stuff in a sort of, you know, dramatic way and such like. Um, you know, I, I I just hope he just, I think what he did with the, la- the last drops, he was, you know, just quietly gives it, hands it over, has no opinion on it, just drops it and sees what happened. Um, it's when he sort of gets a bit excited and um, he starts... Um, you know, sort of referring back to Bob Lazar and everything pointing back to Bob Lazar. And it's like, look, look, you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to drop fresh information and, you know, fresh videos and stuff like that, it needs to be just addressed in, a, in a, an objective manner. And as much as, you know, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the Bob Lazar stuff. But no, I, I don't, I don't go around telling people about it, but, you know, I, I err on the side of the extraordinary really. And I, you know, I'm hopeful about it being, being something other but um, you know, I think I think when you're handing material over to the public and dropping it, you've got to be remain a bit more objective, and um, hopefully, it can um, can be a bit more um, impartial. He can be a bit more impartial about it, and um, draw out, we can draw our own conclusions instead of him telling us we can draw our own conclusions. <laughs> yeah, sense. I can see your point. No, with the Bob Lazar stuff, that maybe at the minute, at the point in time we are in, the best thing would be he kind of shelves the Bob Lazar talk just for yeah. a little while. Yeah, because like I, you say, and I'm I'm like yourself, where I put a lot of stock into do you know what i think there's a lot of truth in the bob lazar story but where it comes back and fits into what's happening now i, I do think it will have a place but yeah, not yet and that's for down the line look adam yeah. we'll move on to our next call because we've got nathan waiting yeah. but uh, always a pleasure to speak to you and yeah, make sure you give us a buzz again for the next one okay nice to, nice to speak to you too graham thank you very much yeah cheers adam bye cheers adam cheers mate thank you for that and next up, we have Nathan joining us on the podcast. Nathan, how are we doing? Good, Andy. How's it going? It's going very well. Nathan, as I record this, I spoke to you a couple hours ago. You you called into DJ San Marco's podcast from Life MMA and NBA that I was on. And uh, he was very impressed with you and how you spoke and what you were talking about. And you pretty much sat on the whole podcast with us, didn't you? I did, yeah. It was kind of a, a, a fun thing for me. First time doing that. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Um, and listen, the, the bar has been high again on all the calls. We've had some new callers, some second-time callers um, for this being the third show. So, um, Nathan, second time, you were on the last one, weren't you? Uh, I think I've submitted oh. a, like a listener question. I don't know that I was uh, on, on audio. I'm so used to seeing the name pop up, but yeah, your, your <laughs> questions are always pretty good in there as well for, for the interview. So listen, Nathan, the floor is yours. What what you want to talk about? I'm going to presume the task force report. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so and, and I'll, at the risk of repeating myself from earlier today, my big takeaways from the the task report, uh, task force report are, are twofold. One, I think there's a, a, a historical component that this report kind of opens up, uh, broadens the, the conversation. And that is the fact that for those of us who have been following this, this topic for, for a long time, uh, we understand that the U.S. government has a, a good bit of information, a good bit of data going back not just uh, to 2004, but, but many decades. Uh, these sightings and, and reports aren't anything new. And so I think what's interesting about the language in this report is it sort of it sort of speaks as if this is a new thing that we're really just kind of now stumbling onto, and we're concerned about it because these 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 uh, UAP are doing things that we're maybe not capable of. Uh, they're in spaces that we don't like them to be uh, observing things that we don't want them to observe, and this is new. So we're going to really kind of start tasking some resources to take a look at this. I mean, that, that's a nice, uh, I think, opening for the U.S. government to kind of play dumb, if you will, and uh, and do a little bit of image rehabilitation. So it's going to be interesting for me to see as this moves forward, where do we go in terms of the historical component? What kind of revelations uh, do we uh, get from the government about what they have in the past? Uh, are we just going to pretend that everything pre-2004 just doesn't exist? Or are we going to revisit some of those older cases and, and say, hey, wait, maybe uh, there was something there and here's what it is. Um, so that, that's one aspect of it. Um, let me let me come in mm-hmm. on that one first, then, sure. Nathan, then we'll, then we'll move on to the second. And I know we spoke earlier, and but people listening to this won't necessarily have heard that. So the what I want to talk about here is we spoke about it with Fraser slightly as well as the element of Brennan McKenna who is the head of the UAP task force okay we're talking about they know and that's the US government but then the US government is made up of lots of different compartments and I know there'll be people listening going oh yeah but they know they know and it's like yeah but who you're talking about tens of thousands of employees okay of which they've been there for differing lengths of time and they've got different roles and responsibilities let's just take the UAP task force as it is now what you potentially have and this is what i think happens more than we would probably realize is those guys go in and they speak to whoever in the fbi or cia or the navy and they go to the guys in the navy and say we're repiling this report we need x y and z and there's probably a conversation there of what do you think is going on and really honestly someone from the navy who's pretty high up is going i don't know Mm-hmm. we're seeing this we're recording this we've got this data oh, i can give you this but and they probably do have the chat of i mean are we talking aliens here and they probably shrug their shoulders and go i doubt it i don't think so i don't know pick pick your poison mm-hmm. but th- there's probably an element of this now given and like i said i've said before roswell was 75 years ago you know when you look back at crash retrieval programs and what's happened in the past maybe what we're getting now as as this uap task force is that 
the, the lack of knowledge is potentially a good thing or mm-hmm. you know ignorance is bliss that they are going at this fresh and that might frustrate people in the sense that we're not addressing the past not yet you know they're talking about congressional hearings and kevin day who was involved in the nimitz uh, incident um today himself has said you know he he lost money and it affected his mental health and i'm sure he's not the only former military that that has had this affect them in a really negative way that mm-hmm. they were laughed out of their jobs that you know they were talked down to and uh, it's been a really negative thing for them for a long long time and now they're getting a little bit of you know of what do I want to say like the acknowledgement that their, their experience was real which they knew but that was always laughed at that it's been life-changing for them so I, I wonder is it a case that we have to move to move forward we have to just accept for some time that the people in charge potentially don't know about all of that and they are coming at from a point of view of we don't know if this is aliens in the classified section and in private they're probably talking going there's a good chance this is something that's not human Mm-hmm. but they're not ready to make those conclusions yet. And I just wonder if that's an aspect that people maybe have to just for a while kind of suck it up and go, right, maybe the people dealing with this just now don't know. No one involved in those well and those other cover-ups from years and decades ago are in the military active anymore or even alive. So I think there's an element of that they've taken what they've taken as a, a sampling for now, and it's, it's got us kind of started Graham, I'll, I'll ask you to kind of come in on that as well. So my, my sort of take on that is that the report says that effectively they don't know what they're looking at. And I think you can go further back than that. So I think that um, 1947, they didn't know what they were looking at. 1952, they didn't know what they were looking at. 1964, they didn't know what they were looking at. Every time they've probably tried to look at this problem, they just come up against a brick wall. The report says that you need scientific advances to try and work out what's going on. Now, that's if that's with today's technology. Apply that kind of um, reasoning to 1947. They would have had even less clue what was happening. And then, of course, if you go into the 1960s with the spate of reports then, they would come across the same problem. So I think they've probably looked at if there is um, some kind of secret organization looking at this and has been ever since whenever, I think they'll just come across the same problems every time. But we're coming to the point now where the sensors are getting better so and the reporting's getting better. So they've got possibly a better starting position to start looking at the problem from now than they would have had 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, you know, the, the equipment, the processes, the speed of transmission of information is much quicker now. Um, the way that they can all get together um, and, and, and actually amass information from multiple sensors, whereas at one time it was probably just radar and eyes. That would be all they'll be, they'd be able to use. So I think it's a much better situation they are now. I think looking back in the past, they're probably taking the decision that it won't help them. At some stage, that might be reevaluated, and they may actually go and apply the same kind of machine learning and algorithms that they're going to apply to future cases and the ones they've got in the database against some historical ones. That might that might happen. It all depends on what kind of format the the old reporting's in. It may not be in a format that they can use, or they might be it might be too resource heavy to turn it into a form of information that they can apply against this kind of machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they might have a problem going back, but they certainly don't have a problem going forward. But that might be as, that might be just as simple as it is. You know, they've just written off the past. What do you think on that, Nathan? I mean, for the U.S. government's sake, I, I think uh, they would uh, they would want Graham to be right um, that that it, 
they just haven't been able to crack this problem and that we just happen to be in a time where uh, we're, you know, we've got the the courage to revisit the issue and, and we've got the technology to sort of better understand what happens to be there. This puts the government in a very good position, uh, if that is the official line, to sort of be a discoverer of this, uh, of this phenomena along with the rest of the world. Uh, so we're all just sort of walking into this future together, uh, not knowing much about uh, really what, what happened in the past. So that, that would be, I think, the best scenario for the government in terms of uh, a, a reputation uh, scenario, uh, if, if, if that, but the alternate is that, that some people may know something or something, some people may, may know more than what, uh, the task force knows, or as you pointed out, Andy, the, the sort of fragmented, uh, bureaucracies that exist in, in the federal government, you know, there may be a, a group that happens to have more knowledge. And so what do we do if that happens to be true? Um, how do we, uh, you know, kind of embrace whatever that knowledge may be, or how is that knowledge revealed to those who are on this for the very first time? Um, and and if that happens to be true, I think one thing that, that comes to mind as well is that this seems to be uh, a little bit of an orchestrated effort. I mean, if you were to sit down and design a way for the world to uh, sort of come awake to this reality, I don't think you could script it better than what's happening right now. You know, you've got a very kind of slow, methodical uh, process of uh, some people coming out, some people saying some things, the government going, oh, we're really curious about this now. It's a very kind of slow walk forward. And that's if you wanted to control this greater truth for the for humanity, this is probably the best way to do it, as opposed to like just a huge breaking news item tomorrow. You know, oh, aliens are real, and you know, extraterrestrials. We got to deal with this. I mean, that would be, a, I think, a, a tectonic uh, shift to our civilization. But this is a much easier way to kind of ease into the water. I think for a long time we've had the the movie scenario where it all happens in ninety minutes and it's explosive and it hap- you know the announcements made at the start we track these things the president comes out tells the world aliens are real there's whatever happens a big fight there's attempts at contact and then it finishes and I think what we're potentially seeing now is you're right that it's going to be a much longer process I don't think over decades you could be looking at 10 years for for loads to come out but i think we're going to see a slow process but a steady Mm -hmm. one that lou elizondo's always talked about but it's going to be more of a a five six seven eight series tv you know at 24 episodes (laughs) where the first season we've you know had this guy leave his job and talk about ufos then the second season you get the the report then the third season things heat up a little bit and then by the fourth and fifth season you're really into the action side of it, where for us, that's probably going to be a lot of scientific study and, you know, really serious documentaries on it and some really serious conversation as well um, for the mainstream. What what was your second point you wanted to come in on, Nathan? Yeah, so the uh, the other aspect of this that brings to mind for me the, the sort of deeper philosophical issues, and that is that um, if we can sort of extrapolate from this acknowledgement that uh, there is some type of intelligence that, that isn't human and some non-human intelligence, whether that's a singular one or, or plural, uh, there are huge questions which follow from that type of uh, reality. And, uh, you know, I'm very curious to know how the world will grapple with that truth. And, 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 you know, here's an example. So, uh, you know, if you're, having a relationship with an intelligence that uh, um, you know, exceeds your own, 
how do you trust them? You know, how do you know what is uh, a real claim, a real truth claim, or or, or a, fa- a false claim? How do you know that they have your best interest at heart, or they don't? Uh, there, there are a lot of it's it's an asymmetric relationship. You know, so there's a great deal of power uh, and and capability on one side of the relationship, and a, a, just a total lack on the other. Uh, so you're not really a, a pairing of equals. If that's true then how does the world sort of walk into that future? And, and for me, the only way that uh, humanity can, can really do that in a meaningful way is, is for there to be uh, an olive branch or an extension of something from this intelligence to humanity. We would need a, a coming out of that intelligence in a very visible, transparent, public way uh, offering things to us that 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 make a difference in our life, make a difference in the life of our world. If that were to happen, then you're developing trust. You know, then you have something you can work with and move forward. If it doesn't, I think you're going to have nothing but uh, you know, sort of skepticism. Uh, you know, we already live in a post-truth world, and and you know, it's going to be hard to take any of the claims of the intelligence at face value. Again, all, even assuming that they even want to have a relationship with us in a, in a way that, that we would find meaningful. Graham, we'll let you come in on that one first. Yeah, I mean, that's a presupposing that you know, they have the ability to do so or the, 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 you know, the, the capability even. I mean, I suppose if, if you're walking down the street one day and you see an ant, would you want to go and talk to it? Uh, it, it might be that kind of relationship, you know, they've, they've got no interest or we don't even exist on their level. This might be just some kind of random fluctuating in the, in the space time you know, of the universe. Who knows? Um, you know, this is all these kind of questions uh, that they're wonderful to, ha- to sort of ask each other. But we simply just don't know what's going on. We're putting our kind of human stamp on a lot of things and, and trying to see through things through our own eyes and how we would approach contact with other people. Uh, or other civilizations, all the rest of it. And I just think you know, we're not even at a stage to have those conversations yet. We're barely scratching the surface in terms of understanding if there is a phenomena, never mind what it is. So I, I think you know, with all due respect, mm-hmm. um, Nathan, I think we're, we're well away from that kind of sort of conversation yet. It's an interesting kind of thing to have. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm happy to discuss things like that, and I'm pleased people do. But officially in terms of getting people on board in the government and all the rest of it that's a long way down the road right no i think you're right and i guess my concern is the the acknowledgement uh, the, the the acknowledgement itself without any real follow up after that is is on its own incredibly destabilizing to the world um now you could argue otherwise i know sam harris recently said that he's been you know, grappling with this issue. He's got a huge following. He's been trying to, you know, think about, you know, how this changes his life. And I think he made a comment to the, to the effect that he just doesn't have the mental space for this topic. You know, that if it, it, that there are so many other pressing concerns in, in our lives that if you know this is a reality, you know, you may not make room for it other than just knowing that it's there. And maybe that that's kind of the best outcome if in fact, we aren't going to have any sort of meaningful exchange of, of, of information or relationship with it. Can I, I, think, I think as well, if you look at our most recent, yeah, yeah. Get, yeah sorry. Do you want to come in first? Yeah. Just one quick observation, if you don't mind, Andy. Um, I mean, 
COVID-19 wasn't a, a thing a few years ago. People, would, people wouldn't have thought there was going to be a, a worldwide pandemic interrupting their lives for a year and a half. But here we are. So people can get to grips with things which are outside their, you know, their everyday kind of existence and, and their experience. So, yeah, that, that's really what I just wanted to say on that. Sorry, Andy. No, it's, it's funny. I was about to talk about COVID, actually, and just say that when you look at the impact COVID's had, um, you know, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, and really it was something we could deal with pretty simply if people stayed at home for a couple of weeks. You know, from a UK point of view, we were told stay at home and essentially, I mean, the virus would go away, wouldn't it? But we have an infrastructure that we had to have people still moving about. Some people did, some people didn't. We won't go into the the politics and people's opinions on that, but COVID's had an impact and it's one that it's probably going to be there for a few generations, even as things go back to normal and how it's affected everyone's lives. So then when you think, how would people handle if the government just came out and went, okay, look, we have these other beings who share this planet with us and we think they are in the ocean. We think they are under the under the earth. And we don't know how long they've been there, more than likely longer than us. We don't really know too much about them. We don't know what they want. You think how, like you, when you talk about Sam Harris and the mental capacity to deal with it, people have barely managed to to struggle to fit COVID in a pandemic. And okay, we need to change some simple rules, whether you like them or not. It was still relatively simple how we had to change Can you imagine shifting the whole psyche of the planet that there's something else here? It's more advanced than us. And we don't even know, when you talk about all different types of phenomenons, is the phenomenon that the government's investigating as part of it, the one that's, you know, interrupting with the Navy and stuff, is that just one thing that can, like Graham said, even try and interact with us? What if that's trying to understand us at the same time? Mm -hmm. We just assume, given the advancements, that, it can and it knows us and but maybe it's as curious about us who knows but i i don't know what you think your take on that is nathan well even the 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 presence of this truth this this capability uh within our culture is going to drive uh further innovation in some way right that you're not going to have scientists and academics uh and thought leaders just kind of sit back and be like well i mean i guess that's uh, you know, that's okay. We'll just kind of continue on doing what we do. The scientific community is going to uh, push very hard on, you know, learning more, interacting with it in a way that they, you know, possibly can, uh, trying to elicit a response, trying to understand the technology and its capability. You know, you're going to have things that uh, will will flow from this, even if you get no response whatsoever from whatever it happens to be. If it just continues doing its thing. And the government just says, hey, this is like, it's a real deal. You're going to have a lot of change in our society just as a response to that. Maybe not from your average person, but from those who, who are you know, keen to, to, to capitalize on this truth, you're going to see some change there. Nathan, it's a great point, and we'll leave it there because this one's went long. But uh, I've wanted to let you get your point out there because there have been some good ones. So thanks very much for calling, and we'll, we'll speak to you again. Thanks, Andy. Cheers, Nathan. 
that is all for part one and thank you very much to Graham. Part two will be available straight away on Apple Podcast platform and patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. You also get it early access and ad free as well. So please consider supporting the show. If not, part two will be out in just a couple of days time and Dan will be joining me to go through listener voicemails for that one. Really enjoyed the chat. So stick around folks and see you soon. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap.